fun aspect of cooling off is targeted temperature management. Cardiac arrest and post-cardiac arrest care is really still an enigma. We seem to be trying so many different interventions. There's a difference between a goal of 65, mean arterial blood pressure, and 75. Unfortunately, outcomes are still pretty poor. They didn't titrate the blood pressure. There's likely nothing that you can do about it. Welcome everyone to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. So thankful that you are joining us for this exciting podcast. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore. And joining me, as always, are my three stellar, amazing co-stars, Dr. John Greenwood, Dr. Peter W., and Dr. Rob Rodriguez. Gentlemen, it's so good to be back recording with you on this particular podcast. We've come towards the end of summer. We've made perhaps the turn to fall. We've gotten on the other side of Labor Day. I know it's been a few weeks since we recorded. So let me check in and see how things are going before we get started with this month's education. So John, I'm going to turn to you first. How are things just a little north of me? Things are good. Philadelphia, I think we're settling in, as you said, to the fall. A few big events coming to the city, so looking forward to some of the adventures that come along. This is just a taste in the life of Dr. W with a few fall concerts and events, but everything's good. Can't complain. Happy to be here with you guys again. Sounds good. Well, speaking of that, speaking of him, Peter, (laughs) what festivals can we expect in New Orleans the next coming weeks? So we are all surviving last weekend, which was the Southern Decadence Festival in New Orleans, which was a sight to behold. It was something else. But we've survived that and moving on. It's still hot and steamy in New Orleans, but we're ready for some great music and great food. Sounds good. Well, Rob, we're trekking from New Orleans out to the West Coast in California. How are you this recording? Doing great. And decadence is a year-round thing out here in the Bay Area. So we don't just devote a week to that. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the tail end of a heat wave with temps as high as the 115 mark in certain parts of this area. It's been interesting with a few heat-related cases. Well, that's very interesting, Rob. I'm going to use that phrase there in terms of cooling off. And one aspect of cooling off is targeted temperature management as a component of -of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest care. Many months ago, we talked about TTM2 and its implications on post-cardiac arrest care. Now we're going to move, still staying within the post-cardiac arrest care bundle, but move to a different topic from TTM really to hemodynamic management. And John, I'm going to turn to you to walk us through this particular discussion. You let us know about a recent article that was just ahead of this recording, hot off the press. And we're going to do part one, this recording, and then part two, or the second component of this trial in our next recording. So Dr. Greenwood, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a pretty exciting group of articles that we're going to talk about. The first one is the first arm of the box trial, if you will, and that was blood pressure targets in comatose survivors after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. This was formed by Professor Jesper Kiergaard and a number of other colleagues out in Europe and published in New England Journal as you said, just maybe a little over a week ago in August 27th in New England Journal. So I think all of us, as we all know, the quintessential disease of 
cardiac arrest and post-cardiac arrest care is really still an enigma to us. Unfortunately, outcomes are still pretty poor. So this is an important question, particularly related to resuscitation after cardiac arrest. Because I think we all know that goal-directed post-resuscitation care often targets normalized tissue perfusion, and that can come by a number of different hemodynamic measures, one of them being mean arterial pressure, which I think oftentimes most of us are targeting somewhere around a map of greater than 65. Now, observational data would suggest that post ROSC map to ensure adequate blood flow to the anoxic brain might be a little bit higher, might be something more along the lines of 75 millimeters of mercury. But guidelines, I think, are still pretty consistent overall using that evidence-based threshold of 65 for most clinical practices. Now, high-quality data for these numbers are limited, but there are three previous randomized control trials that have tested a high versus low map. And one of those was back in 2018. This was published in Intensive Care Medicine, where they targeted a map of 65 to 75 versus 80 to 100. So a pretty decent difference between the two targets. They showed that it was feasible during the post-resuscitation ICU care, but it didn't affect some biomarkers of brain injury around 48 hours after arrest, nor any other secondary outcomes. Now, follow that in 2019, a publication in the European Heart Journal, where these authors looked at targeting a map of between 85 and 100 versus 65 in post-arrest patients. And they found that it was safe and it may have improved cerebral oxygenation. So kind of a intermediate goal, but it didn't improve the extent of anoxic brain injury or neurologic outcome. So maybe a taste of some favorable improvement, but didn't lead to clinical outcomes, which at the end of the day are what we care about most. Now, finally in 2020, again in the European Heart Journal, there was a double-blind trial of 50 patients that found a MAP target of 72 compared to 65, didn't result in improved biomarkers of organ injury or brain damage and renal function. But that was a pretty narrow difference between the two target endpoints. So the authors here decided to maybe take it the next step and do a somewhat larger randomized control trial. So Rob, why don't we go to you first? Tell us a little bit about maybe the primary objective here and start us off explaining the initial experimental arm and control of the trial. Yeah, thanks, John. That was a great introduction. And these investigators are basically trying to take the next step in this line of research to do a real randomized trial, looking at real hard outcomes for out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And their primary objective was to test whether a mean arterial pressure of 63 versus 77 millimeters of mercury would be superior in preventing death or severe anoxic brain injury among comatose survivors of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And so their methods, this was a randomized clinical trial with a two-by-two factorial design with oxygenation targets comprising the other part of this trial that we're going to talk about in a later discussion. But it was, again, it was a two-by-two factorial design, and it was a double-blind intervention with MAP targets of 63 versus 77 millimeters of mercury. In terms of the other part of the trial, the oxygenation targets were restrictive versus liberal oxygenation with an open label intervention 
designed for that trial. And the location, this was done at two medical centers in Denmark, and they included patients, adult patients, 18 years or older, who were comatose after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest of presumed cardiac etiology. So they excluded patients who had unwitnessed asystolic arrest, as well as patients who had suspected intracranial bleeding or stroke. In terms of their intervention, on the usual care arm, the control arm, they did have targeted temperature management to 36 degrees for 24 hours with 72 hours of active thermia after that. And they used sedation with propofol and fentanyl for 24 hours, and they reduced those sedatives during rewarming so that they could assess neurologic status in patients. In the interventional arm, clinical staff, investigators, patients, and outcome assessors were unaware of the assigned blood pressure targets, but were told to target a map of 70 millimeters of mercury. The actual blood pressure targets were achieved by assigning patients to an electronic module that was set to show either 10% higher or lower value than the actual map. So clinicians would actually achieve 63 versus 77 millimeters of mercury in the two groups. Kind of a very innovative design there in which they were able to achieve some level of blinding by that electronic module. In terms of resuscitation, they had resuscitation map targets of 70 millimeters of mercury was achieved using a three-stage approach, starting with IV fluids to achieve a CBP of 10, norepinephrine infusions with dopamine as a second line presser. And then other hemodynamics were not altered. In other words, they did not target cardiac output or other hemodynamic metrics. And so that's the general design of the study. And maybe turn it over to Peter. Do you want to discuss the primary outcomes and secondary outcomes? Yeah, I appreciate that, Rob and John. So when we look at this study, the primary outcome that they looked at was a composite. It was a composite of death or discharge from the hospital with the cerebral performance category of a three or a four within 90 days or at the time of discharge. So objective measures going out. The secondary outcomes are going to be death from any cause within 90 days. Also the time to dialysis or the time to renal replacement therapy. And then the other secondary outcome was one of our biomarkers, a neuron-specific enolase level at 48 hours after randomization. Again, looking at that biomarker. And then multiple different cognitive scores at three months. So looking at their cognitive function three months out. The sample size was actually chosen to detect a 10% mortality difference between the two treatment groups. And so those are our primary outcomes and then the secondary outcomes. Thanks, guys, Peter and Rob. You know, I agree. I think this is a pretty innovative trial in the sense that it's pretty hard to get people to target a higher or lower map. And it kind of takes away some of the biases, I think, that might have been introduced if you kept it open label. And so having this double-blind approach was pretty cool, I think, and definitely helped validate maybe some of the results. I think it's a fairly reasonable outcome measure. So overall, things are looking pretty good right off the cuff. But Mike, tell us a little about the results. What did they find? 
All right. Well, their statistical analysis done ahead, they look to essentially get about 800 patients enrolled. And over the course of the study duration, they did. They got 802 patients enrolled. But at the end of the day, after excluding patients for consent withdrawal, someone randomized twice, it was essentially 789 patients. So very, very close to their target. And they were evenly split. So about 393 patients in the high blood pressure group versus 396 in the low blood pressure group. And in general, very much what the investigators set out to do, the trial did achieve that MAP difference. Now going into randomization, the MAP difference was about 11 points, 65 versus 75 millimeters of mercury. And I think importantly, patients were randomized once they got to the ICU. And you'll see this when we talk about the second part of the trial, the oxygenation component, these patients weren't necessarily randomized in the emergency department. And in general, it took about two and a half hours from the time of cardiac arrest and ROSC to get those patients randomized. Now, importantly, very similar to when we talked about TTM2 and its generalizability, its applicability to your individual patient setting, what were the patient characteristics? Well, between the groups, they were evenly split, well-balanced between the groups with a median age of about 63, 64 years. Having said that, about 85% of people or patients in this trial had a shockable initial rhythm of their arrest. About 85% had a witnessed arrest and about 87 to 88% of patients actually got bystander CPR. So think about that as we go through these results and you apply it to your patient population. Over 40% of patients in each arm had a post-ROSC STEMI following return of spontaneous circulation. And in about 90% of patients, or even more than 90% of those patients in this trial, they got a post-ROSC coronary angiography. So just think once again about those patient characteristics and the treatment following ROSC. Overall, vasopressors were used in the same in both groups. And when we look at the primary outcome, so Peter mentioned that composite outcome of death or severe neurologic disability, it was no different. So no statistically significant difference between either the high or low blood pressure group. Specifically, that composite outcome occurred in about 34% of patients in the high blood pressure group versus 32% in the low blood pressure group. And when we look at those secondary outcomes that Peter went through for us, there was essentially no difference. Death from any cause at 90 days, the same between groups. In terms of acute kidney injury that required renal replacement therapy, 10% in both groups, no difference. There were the same three-month CPC and other neurologic assessment scores, no difference in those either, and really no difference in any of the recorded complications that these investigators sought to determine as a result of this particular therapy. So same rates of infection, arrhythmia, bleeding, metabolic disorders, or seizures. So John, that's the take-home results from this trial. All right. So if we read on its face, it sounds like in cardiac arrest, post-arrest patients from a primary cardiac cause, a map of 65 versus 75 doesn't appear to impact clinical outcomes or really any of the secondary outcomes whatsoever. Certainly, I think the mortality is interesting. I think the patient group's interesting as we think about which subset of cardiac arrest patients we should apply these results to, but certainly there's some limitations here in the study itself, but maybe also some strengths. Peter, I'll turn to you first, our wise wise sage of an emergency critical care physician. Break it down for us. Are there any concerns you have or what do you think they did really well? 
Well, I would say first the limitations. I would say that their goal was to see a difference between the two groups of about 14 points in mean arterial pressure between the two groups, and they got to 10.7. I think we could all agree that there's a difference between a goal of 65 mean arterial blood pressure and 75. So we really are parsing if we're going to be critical about saying, you know, that 10.7 difference wasn't 14, which was their goal. But I think that that's still clinically significant comparing 65 to 75 mean arterial blood pressure. Now, what they didn't do, and we can all agree to to this, is that they didn't titrate the blood pressure based on the degree of an anoxic injury, you know, leaving the question that perhaps those that had a greater anoxic injury would benefit from a greater elevation of blood pressure, maybe they should be randomized into a higher mean arterial blood pressure. That really wasn't done because we didn't really follow who had the greatest anoxic injury, nor did we measure that. But it would be interesting to know the duration of CPR prior to ROSC. Like if those patients that had prolonged CPR and then received ROSC were more likely to have anoxic injury and therefore should be shoveled over into the group with a higher mean arterial blood pressure. That wasn't done. So that's a potential limitation because we didn't know that degree of anoxia. And then long-term neurological outcomes wound up only being measured in 65% of the surviving patients. Hmm. Now, the reason for that is the reason all of our lives were interrupted, which was going to be blamed upon the COVID-19 pandemic, right? But with just saying long-term neurological outcomes in this well-designed study, we only saw in 65% of those patients, that's a true limitation of the study. I can give them that as a limitation. I think the others are really being nitpicky more than anything else. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you that the limitations are fairly small and nitpicky if we're going to drill down on it. But certainly COVID, I'm sure they weren't happy as they were in the midst of this trial starting in 2017, a year and a half later, really getting the brakes put on. But there were some good things that this study brought to the post-arrest literature. Peter, what do you think? Are there maybe like one or two things that you could point out to say, this is why this might impact your practice or what they did well? Yes, I think some of the strengths of this are pretty profound. And the biggest amongst those is the sample size. I think that's incredibly robust. That allows us to look at the data critically and see the consistent findings for differences. And when they were none, it gives strength to that. And I think the other piece that is strength is the generalizable results to those patients who had acute coronary syndromes as a cause for their arrest. And we know that those tend to have a better prognosis than a standard PEA arrest, right? And we know also a better cause than the non-cardiac causes for arrest as well. So I like that, that it was segmented to the ACS group. And then physiologically, the fact that invasive CVP monitoring was performed and targeted gives us some sense of what the general perfusion pressure was. Again, the difference between mean arterial blood pressure and the CVP. And so we have a sense for that. So again, I think those are strengths. That and the overall design of the study, I think, was pretty pretty strong. 
Yeah, absolutely. Those three things in particular, I think for me, definitely add to my willingness to incorporate this into my general practice. But certainly Mike and Rob, maybe let's start with Mike. What do you think about the trial overall? Any concerns you have or anything you took away? I think it's yet another trial that informs us in terms of post-cardiac arrest care and well done, relatively large, randomized, looking at different BP targets. I think in full disclosure, we have to remind all of our listeners, at least practicing in the US, that the latest iteration of the AHA guidelines still recommend targeting a mean arterial pressure of 65 or slightly higher. They do acknowledge that there's this literature out there that supports a higher map, but not robust enough to change recommendations. So on the surface, our national, our international guidelines continue to endorse and support 65. And I think this helps to reinforce that. What I'm interested in, and would like to just get your thoughts as we kind of come down the home stretch here in this podcast, is very similar to TTM. In terms of these patients, when I get back to the patient characteristics, a lot witnessed arrest, a whole lot of bystander CPR, and a whole lot of shockable rhythms. And so when we look at patients who are going to have a good outcome, these patients kind of check all those boxes. And just like in TTM2, they're less likely perhaps to have severe neurologic injury. And maybe it doesn't make as much a difference driving the map to a little bit higher. And I think in studies to come, taking a look at trying to parse out, what about that patient with moderate anoxic or moderate brain injury, if we're looking at CT, if we're looking at spot EEGs that would suggest moderate to severe cerebral injury, would those patients potentially benefit even from a higher map end a lower temperature. And I think that that's where I think we need to go. And some of those current studies are looking into that. So that's what I would say, John, really in relation to this and where we head next. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really, really important points, particularly as we think about the cerebral perfusion pressure of our patients with significant head injury. We don't know. And the fact that the mortality was their outcome group was 30%. I can tell you, at least when I think about my post-cardiac arrest outcomes in Philadelphia, good neurologic outcome after arrest across the board is still pretty poor. It's definitely not 60 to 70%. But Rob, how about you? What big takeaways do you walk away with after reading this paper? Yeah, John. So I think this is a tremendous study. I think that I really love that innovative design. It's hard to imagine coming up with a protocol in which you could blind the providers about the actual blood pressure target, but that was very innovative and seemed to achieve the effect that they were trying to accomplish. So again, an outstanding study. I'd say the two points that I take away from it are, number one, this kind of adds to the growing body of literature about frustrations, I would say, in terms of like cardiac arrest. We seem to be trying so many different interventions, so many different variations in interventions, and there aren't many interventions other than CPR, perhaps epinephrine, and target temperature management that seem to make a real difference in outcomes. That's not to say that we shouldn't continue to try and delve into subgroups that might benefit from different types of targeted interventions, but it does seem like once that brain injury has occurred at cardiac arrest, 
there's likely nothing that you can do about it. The second point that I take from this is a caution to everybody out there that while the outcome was the same in both groups, remember that this does not in any way argue that you should tolerate a lower MAP than 65. Again, I believe that the AHA guidelines that Mike mentioned, they're spot on for now, and you should continue to target a MAP of 65. So the fact that 75 versus 65 doesn't make a difference does not mean that 65 versus 55 makes a difference. So I would continue to target at least a map of 65. Yeah, Rob, that's an excellent point. And, you know, I think that if we were to apply this clinically and even just say that it seems that a safe therapeutic range, maybe a map between 65 and 75 may give us a therapeutic range as we're setting up goals for our patients with our nursing team, with our other clinicians. This trial did maybe add some strength to that therapeutic range, at least for this patient cohort. So excellent, excellent point. Well, that wraps up at least our uh, discussion of this first arm of the box trial, specifically blood pressure targets for cardiac arrest patients with a cardiac cause. But I'm really interested to see, you know, we've heard a lot about oxygen, particularly hyperoxia versus normoxia and post-arrest and the effects that can have on post-arrest brain injury. So I think that it's a really, really important question. And as Mike said, we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper on the next podcast that we'll be releasing in the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to discussing that with you guys. And thank you all for your time and really, really important interpretations from this important trial in the cardiac arrest literature. So fellas, Thanks so much and look forward to talking again soon. All right, guys, take care. And as Mike always says, bye for now.